Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I am your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Dana Schaefer. Dana grew up in New York and Los Angeles, where she married her husband, Benson, in 1963. Their daughter, Rebecca, was born in Eugene, Oregon, in 1967, and when Rebecca was 14, the family moved to Portland. At age 16, Rebecca struck out on her own for New York, where she soon landed acting jobs, starting with a role on a soap and ultimately a role on the sitcom My Sister Sam alongside Pam Dauber, which took her to Los Angeles. Dana's first play, City Women, won a major award from the Kennedy Center in 1988, and then in 1989, Rebecca was murdered on her front step. Benson and Dana were shattered but survived. Dana went on to write more plays, teach playwriting, publish publish stories, articles and reviews, produce two websites, write manuscripts for several novels and a memoir, and pursue a career in mental health. Her play about the loss of Rebecca, You in in Midair, premiered in January 2017 at Portland's Fertile Ground Festival. And if anyone happens to be listening live and in the L.A. area, that play is currently being produced in L.A. And we'll, we'll share the details a little later on. Welcome, Dana. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to have you and, and um, was very moved by, I, I read the play, unfortunately, I haven't been able to see it because it isn't in my area, but um, it it really um, felt so open and, and uh, deep in terms of sharing your experience, so I thank you for that. Oh, sure, yeah, I can't believe uh, we've come this far with it, when I think back when it was just an idea. And now people are seeing it. It's, it's, it's a very exciting process. Absolutely. I wonder if we could start, though, you know, I'm aware uh, Rebecca died in 1989. It's now 2018. And I'm really interested because it's a, a long time since my own most profound loss in, mm-hmm. in how a loss continues to show itself in our lives going forward. Obviously, this this seems like a good example of that, but I wonder if you could maybe um, share with listeners a little more about Rebecca and about losing Rebecca and that experience in your life. Sure, sure. Um, and I'm very interested also in the, the subject of, of grief over time because, of course, we're, we're all told, you know, to work towards getting over it, get it getting through it, but um, it never really ever goes away, of course, and it takes different forms. But um, Rebecca was our pride and joy. Benson and I were living in... Portland, and um, she, in the 10th grade, had de- she was debating. She was president of her youth group at a temple, and she debated between becoming a rabbi and an actress, a wonderful uh. choice. 
And I think both were kind of spiritual enterprises for her. Anyway, she decided on the actress and at age 16 was invited to model in New York for a summer and went and loved it. And while she was there, a theatrical agent said, you know, you can work in this town, meaning you can get acting jobs. And she called home and she said, Mom, this, 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 talent person says that the theater person says that, that, that I can work in this town and I said and I don't know what possessed me but I said are you thinking you want to stay there and she said yes and, and I can take it back <laughs> music to her ears but not to yours <laughs> oh what me and my big mouth but I could hear she was fearless she had the talent she wanted to do it so she came home and we threw, threw her a farewell party and she left for New York two months before her 17th birthday and, and made her way. And uh, I, I, you know, many people say, are you sorry you did that? I say, I don't regret anything about her life. I only regret, you know, what, what the murderer did. But no, very glad she had that, all that. And, and she did a lot. So then she, she, as you said, she got this role on a sitcom with Pam Dauber, and that was a wonderful experience for her. And it wrapped, and then she got movies. She got a part in a Woody Allen movie and a Diane Cannon movie and scenes in the class struggle of Beverly Hills. And then she called home in March of 1989 and said, guess what? I got a part on a TV movie about... Um, a cruise ship, an Italian cruise ship that got hijacked. Some people might remember this. It was 1985, the Achille Lauro. And we said, great. And then she said, guess what? They're going to shoot interiors in Rome. Do you want to come hang out with us in Rome? Mm-hmm. Uh, hang out. And so I said, yes. Uh, Benson couldn't make it. She and I had a wonderful time in Italy for a couple of, about a week. And that's how my play starts, how wonderful everything was. And then uh, the morning of, of, of July 18th, 1989, I get a call from a total stranger saying, Mrs. Schaefer, I have terrible news. This morning, Rebecca was shot and killed. And that's the story. It turns out that an obsessed fan had stalked her and had been following her and had a plan. Uh, the police... Two days later, found a guy, the Tucson police found a guy dancing in freeway traffic, and they found a timeline in his pocket for killing Rebecca. And our two marvelous detectives flew from L.A. to Tucson on their own dime in the middle of the night and uh, brought the guy back to, to Los Angeles. And he was an obsessed fan, and he tried for an insanity defense, but he, he did know what he was doing, and he did know right from wrong, so... Um, he got the life without parole. You know, that's not uh, the first time I've heard of an obsessed fan killing someone. I mean, we think of, you know, John Lennon, for instance, and, you know, and and I've, I've never been, as much as I try to put myself in the heads of other people, even people whose acts are abhorrent to me, that Uh one just doesn't, I can't make sense of killing the person you're obsessed with. Uh, it seems so I, odd to me. 
Uh, me too. And the, the only the only way I understand it is that this theme of you know the jilted lover, the cheated on husband. Uh, the, the theme is if I can't have her, nobody can. And I believe that's how he was operating. But you know, I try not to spend too much time thinking about him. But I do think that's what it was. Right. But but bottom line, you had not only a, one of the most grievous losses, the loss of a child, but also the trauma of that, that um, really is a big, um, a, a big overlay on grief, yes? I agree, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that, that Benson, that's my husband, and um, amongst all of my my good fortune is, is to be married to, to Benson. Um, he and I went to a group called Parents of Murdered Children for a year. Um, there are groups all over the country, and there's a group in Portland, and we went, and it was just great to be around other people who had who have been through this, if, if you can put it that way. I mean, I, I never... I try not to generalize because every single person and every single loss is so different, as you know. But there was one parent there who had four kids, and she had lost three of them, one to uh, a long, unfortunate illness, one to a car accident, and one to murder. And she said that the murder was the hardest for her because it was so... As you say, the trauma is so shattering, and 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 the, you know, the, the I'll use the word existential. Trying to figure out how another human could do that to your loved one is just absolutely mind bending facet of the thing. And it sort of pulls you. In, I was um, interested in the in the part of your play where you're talking about you know going down to L.A. for the trial, talking mm-hmm. with police officers. You know, there's there's a way uh, you had to keep getting pulled back to that moment. Not that would, you would forget it, of course, right, but right. just that you couldn't follow your own flow, that there was something intruding you on... Know, on I, sorry, go ahead. No, that was... that. Was, go right ahead. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it quite that way but but I think that is part of it that you can't that you're 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 diverted from your own process and have to pay attention to the to the this this judicial thing which in our case we got the royal treatment and I I I am so grateful you know Marsha Clark was our prosecutor we had these two dedicated detectives uh, and and we just got the royal treatment because Rebecca at that time was a little bit in the public eye, and she was a Los Angeles girl at that point. So the Los Angeles police were were committed to this. But so many people, you know, the murderer is not brought to justice, and it's it's uh, that's that's a special category of misery. I I know people who have to go to the the parole hearings every year to to testify that the murderer should not be let out. I mean, talk about not being able to attend to your own grief. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and and to to have that continually to deal with, um, 
I had a I had a guest once whose sister was murdered, but they didn't find her body for twenty or thirty years. Oh yeah. And then oh, and yeah. then that's another thing. You know, they could assume that's what happened, but uh, to leave be left in in kind of limbo like that. So at least that aspect of things did get completed in a way for you in the sense that you knew who it was, you you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I knew somebody, again, and parents of murdered children. And and it's bizarre to to think of these, to hear these. Um, Cheryl, are you hearing a beeping? I am not. Oh, I'm hearing a beeping. Okay, I'll try to ignore it. Um, Let's see. um, People who... Oh, yeah, who said a couple whose daughter was murdered and and the the murderer taunted them and said, I know where she's buried and I'm not going to tell you. And so they would say to us, you're lucky you have a body. And that that sets you back and gives you, that gives you a larger context and you begin to be, who would think you would ever be grateful to have a body, you know, but but, uh, the the suffering with murder is, is... yeah, huge. I'm multi-form. Huge. And, and it is true that in almost every area, mystery, mystery in, in negative circumstances is very hard to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they're referring to, I guess. Um, but there, uh, as you said earlier, we can't, there's no way to compare because every grief is its own story for sure and I remember being horribly what is the word maybe irritated or, or very shortly after Rebecca died somebody and it was a person in a dry cleaning shop for what it's worth and she said to me I know just how you feel my dog died last week and I thought wow that's really you really think the loss of a dog is the same as the loss of a child, but over the years, and especially with my experience being a therapist, that's the first question I always ask, who's who's the family? Tell me who's in the family, including the pets, because they are family members. Um, I just, a couple years ago, I saw a a missing sign tacked up on a telephone pole in, in the neighborhood, and I was walking around, and it said... Um, a picture of a black cat with a white diamond and the, the person had printed underneath. Sylvester is missing. If you find him, I beg you to call me. He is my life. Uh. What, that, you know, I couldn't have understood that 29 years ago, but I, mm. I understand it now. I understand that. Yes. And that's poignant with pets because if everything goes perfectly, we typically do outlive pets. You know, that's yeah. part of the right. of the territory. But nonetheless, <laughs> they hold lot. that they hold that place, don't they? Yeah, um, and so, yeah, go ahead. well, I was just uh, really interested in the fact that because of who Rebecca was and and what her interests were. Um, you had to let go of her in some ways. Uh, or you had you had some letting go to do earlier. You know, New York and then L.A. at a very young age. Um, right. <laughs> and and I'm assuming that also involved grief. Um, 
Yeah. One of one of my kids also is uh, is in theater and film, and her personality required a lot of letting go as she was growing up. I I thought she might do what your daughter did, hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. at one point, uh, and so I was kind of transposing myself into your experience. Uh, uh-huh. With Rebecca earlier, that that probably also was was a loss to you. Yeah, and and you know, it, it was when she when we, we we let her go to New York at age sixteen and help support her, and you know, it was all a willing choice on all our parts, and I didn't realize I was doing it. I mean, I I wasn't. I don't know how to say it, but I would find myself crying when I went to sleep, and I would find myself crying when I woke up in the morning. It was the Uh. craziest thing, and that lasted for nine months after she left, and I believe that 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 is not an arbitrary number. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just going to say that. (laughs) That seems quite poignant to me. (laughs) Giving birth for a second time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. You come out and you let go. And I actually, I remember when she was born, turning to her, they, they, there was a really busy night in the hospital. And, and this was 1967, the dark ages. And I, they didn't hand her to me. They put her in this plastic box next to me. And we turned and stared at each other, Rebecca and I. And I I thought, wow, she's she's so separate from me. And... That was the first letting go, and the second letting go was having her, letting her go to New York, and the third, of course, was was dealing with with, with this death. And and I would, I'm I've asked myself if letting her go to New York was any kind of, you know, practice for the death. And I hate to say it, but. I, I think it might have been. Uh, you, you could argue well, that it was yeah. re-traumatizing, Let's, that it deepened the loss. But I think I think yeah. it might have helped. Donna, we have to go to a break, but I feel what you're saying deserves a lot more time. Let's come back to it uh, after Alrighty. our break, okay? Um, yeah. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, every last thing. And to find Dana and her play, go to www.youinmidair.com Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. 
In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Dana Schaefer. Her play, You in Midair, chronicles the loss of her daughter, Rebecca, who was murdered in 1989. And before the break, Dana, we were talking about the sense that previous um, griefs or losses uh, somehow contribute to how we face the next loss. For instance, we were talking about you uh, letting Rebecca... Uh, supporting her to go to New York to pursue acting. And um, what seems clear to me is that that, even though it was a joyous kind of thing, she was, you know, fulfilling a passion and all that, there was loss. And that in some way, um, looking back, that was a step that did put you in a certain place uh, when, when she was murdered, that did kind of changed the starting point there, I guess. That's badly said, but what do you think about that? I I agree with it. Mind you, at the time, I, I, I'm not sure I would have agreed with it at the time. Yes. Thought, oh, no, no, this, is, this is the long view, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gee whiz, but um, gee whiz, that's what my mother would have said. Um but now, looking back, and that, that is the, the beauty of getting older. I'm 74, and I cannot tell you how much I am enjoying it. And, um, but that, that is 
That is the beauty of being able to look back and and see how misguidedly pinheaded I was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, or just, you know, I, I think of it sort of like, if you put your hand in front of your face, you can't see anything. You have to back your hand up to see the lines, you know. Yeah, good point, Perspective. good point. Rebecca's boyfriend, uh, her boyfriend at the time, Bradley Silverling, a director, his mother was enormously helpful with the, this is an example of my pinheadedness, uh, with the funeral. And of course, we didn't know what we were doing. We did a Jewish and also there was a you know way to do it, which was helpful. But so we had all the people, all these people at the house with food, and I was worried that we didn't have enough forks. So I said to Joyce, to Brad's mother, I said, Joyce, could you please go out and get some more forks? And so she came back with a bag of white plastic forks, and I said, Joyce, I don't think that's enough forks. <laughs> like sending her out for white plastic forks, this poor lady, and. She, she did not try to give me an argument. And so we, we used white plastic forks for about three years afterwards. It was just, you know, you just get in a little, your brain gets fried. You just don't know what you're doing. So, well, also anyway. that seems so metaphoric. There wasn't enough, there wasn't enough, there, you couldn't possibly have enough for yeah, what you were right. going through. <laughs> um, and I, and I noticed things get located with these details, right? Yeah. Like the forks. Um, but I, I do yeah. contrast, you know, that kind of sudden cataclysmic loss, um, I'm, which I have had. My father died very suddenly. Uh, of course, oh. he was old, though, uh, relatively old. He wasn't sick, but he was old. And contrasting that with... How old he was. Oh, I'm sorry? How, how old, old was he? he? 82. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. yeah. Oh, boy. Um, but... With my wife, there was such a long, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we imagined her death and her uh, memorial and her, you know, we had over-imagined all of that for 10 years. Well, and and, by we, do you mean you and she or you? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You and she. Uh, so to contrast that to what you must have been going through uh you know, having probably never really a thought <laughs> of something like that or or that, that maybe a true. thought or a fear, but you know, to suddenly be kind of dropped into trying to handle the details of some yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and had I, to be tough. I hate to let go of, of to to pass over your, your wife's long tenure suffering that's just terrible but um it it was i I had i had not imagined rebecca dying i was 45 i hadn't even mentioned imagined that i would die yet i still thought i was immortal (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna die um but she it it was so um I, i was i'm an anxious person and I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's it's good to worry about stuff. And I worried about a lot of stuff. And I worried about my parents. I worried about my brothers. I imagined my husband, God forbid, getting injured or sick. I never did imagine Rebecca dying. And I, that, that was a, a failure of imagination on my part. And then when the news did come to me, I it was very hard for me to take that in. I'm, I'm not alone here, I know. The first word is always no. But you're right, I was not prepared. 
you know, an interesting moment in the play to me was when you were talking about um, going to be with her body in the morgue and you didn't want to go in. And you yeah. and your husband, I believe, said something like, we need to see her so it can be real or... Um, yes, he said, I don't know where he dragged this wisdom up from. He's a very wise guy, but he said, we have to or we will never believe it. And believe so, it. That's much yeah, better. He said it better yeah. than I than I. Yeah, and I, I didn't... I, at that point, I said, "Nope, I don't want to do that." But I, I'm, I think I'm glad. I think I'm glad. Yeah. Well, I. Uh, it's interesting because I had uh, young kids when my wife died. One of them oh, was two? two and a half, and oh. um, they were they were integrated. She died at home. We had a wake, and nobody in the family, the kids or me, nobody ever had the fantasy that it was not real you know mm-hmm. they, they say that yeah. comes up especially with kids you know they think mm-hmm. the person is coming back my kids never thought she was coming back mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. so I think there is something about what helps us to Im- to absorb what's happened Absolutely. as as human beings. You know, my husband's a child psychologist, a neuropsychologist, actually, and he tells people, they say, you know, should I let my child visit my, my aged grandparent or should I let my child come to the funeral? And he always says, include the children, let them experience it. I mean, barring a particular, you know, situation. But in general, it's just so much better to include them. Yeah, leave the door open. For sure. I I agree with that completely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're very good at handling it, as a matter of fact. All the kids I've I've been in, you know, those situations with have handled it quite well if the adults are able to be with them with it. Yeah, Uh, that's that's key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking, though, about... um, you know, I, I listened to an interview with you where you talked about the fact that you'd never acted. Um, uh-uh. You <laughs> you'd written plays, but you weren't you were going to be backstage. Um, right. And now you not only are you front stage in this one woman show, but you're front stage with uh, I would imagine the most painful experience you've ever had by quite a lot, yeah. and. Um, and also, it's quite a while since you lost her. And mm-hmm. I just I just would like to talk a little bit about the process of, you know, coming to write the play and then be the one to perform it. And um, because it seems to me so so natural that that's true, but also surprising, uh, <laughs> given that you hadn't done it before, you know, uh, can you talk some about that? Yeah, you know, it surprises me, too. <laughs> what am I doing up here? I'll be darned. The big girl is remembering 80 minutes worth of words in a row. I'll tell you what, that, that makes me feel very good. Um, well, I, I about three years ago, I wrote a memoir, and it was I was working with a, a, a writer friend, a very dear, very wonderful writer, and Karen Carbo, actually, if you've ever heard of her. Um, and... 
I wrote this memoir, and, and I would, we were, there were a few of us in the class, and I would bring chapters every week, and everybody said, oh, this is great, this is great. It was all about me and my parents. I, was, I had this passionate relationship with my my parents, and only in the last chapter did I fast forward through the rest of my life. I think I went up to age 12 or something, and including Rebecca. And my friend, I <laughs> said, she, at the very end, we had you know individual meetings, and she said, Dana, okay, this is really good writing, all of these chapters, but it's only the last chapter that's really interesting. You need to throw the first 29 chapters out and, and make a book about this last chapter, in short, about Rebecca. And I thought, oh, geez, I don't, it scared me. It scared me because... I, I was afraid I couldn't do her justice. And I thought, mm. oh, geez, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. That summer, I happened to run into a performance artist. And we were joking around, and she said, jokingly, she said, you know, you have a lot of characters inside you that need to come out. And I said, huh. And she said, have you thought of doing a solo show? And I said, you know, I... It's sort of not a totally foreign idea. And she said, I can tell you how to do it. It's easy. I said, you can. And she <laughs> did. And that it wasn't easy, but it was a start. Yeah, and, it's and easy it, is what made me laugh. <laughs> I can't imagine that it was easy. <laughs> it, well, it was a great it was a great introduction because it wasn't, well, this is a long, serious process, and here are a couple of books you need to read before you can do this. It was like, you can do this. And that was a wonderful sort of invitation. So I signed up for some acting classes, and the first acting class I took happened to be called the Meisner Technique. I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of this. I didn't, I guess I didn't really heard of it, and I didn't know quite what it was, and I began to understand, and and the the essence is you uh, live your true self in an imaginary world, which is not unlike being a therapist, actually. You know, you join your your clients in their world. But as I was going through this class, I kept hearing this language, like you have to have an activity for a particular scene, and I realized that this was language that... Rebecca had used when she would call home from New York talking about this wonderful acting class she was taking. And I realized I was taking the acting techniques that Rebecca had studied. So it was very satisfying to think, wow, I'm following in her footsteps. And somebody recently said to me, do you think you're doing this as a play because she was an actress? And I said... That's a wonderful idea, and I'm going to pretend that it was mine, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I like to steal good ideas, and um, and I think there is something to that, that I wanted to honor her with her craft, but, but that, that was, it's all, I think the creation really was a lot of some subconscious, unconscious stuff. Well, the other thing that occurs to me that I've, that I've encountered so often in myself and in my all the people I've interviewed over the last four and a half years is that there's a very non-sequential aspect to things that come out of grief. Yeah. Um, that there, there's sort of a sense of unfolding instead of making things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and and that fits perfectly into this idea I have, which I will never study because I don't like research, but I don't like to do it, I mean. <laughs> but um, I do think there's something about that, that you let it unfold. You followed your own uh, breadcrumbs and kind of paid attention to what drew your attention and then did something that, you know, things came to hand that allowed you to take action with that. Is that familiar to you? I I like the way you're saying it. And, you know, you're saying that's something that my therapist would do. I can tell you're a good therapist, (laughs) a wonderful therapist. You know, it's not just reframing, but taking taking my experience and, and restating it in a way that's new to my ears. And that's that's the poetry of therapy too, is making the, the unconscious conscious of course and the the familiar unfamiliar. But yeah, very much that. Very much that letting it happen. And that that was my I, I don't know if you want to leap into this, but Elizabeth Kubler Ross of blessed memory. I I, I took you know, it was hard for me. I studied those stages of grief, and they were not working for me. No, and it, and that isn't even what she. I think I think her mistake was using the word stages because I don't think that's actually what she, she believed. Didn't mean a temporal a, a, a <laughs> list. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. And I got to hear her talk in person. I'm so glad I did because years ago, years ago, she said. Um, you have to let people die the way they have lived. And now this is out of the realm of, of murder and, and that kind of thing. But you, 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 if somebody wants to live in denial, let, sorry, die in denial and they have lived with denial, you've got yeah. to let them do it, et cetera. And I, I just, I, that, I think that's a wonderful lesson. Instead of, and instead of bringing your own angst and, and anxiety and sadness to the to the deathbed, you you, you fall back and, and listen to what the, the person's going through. It's, it sounds so obvious now that I'm saying it, but I just I really valued that. Uh, no, absolutely. That helped me a great deal because I spent a ton of time with Stephen and Andrea Levine. I mention them often on the oh, show, yeah. oh, and oh, yeah. and Stephen Stephen was uh, Elizabeth's student, and so some of her ways of looking at things. What's that? I had forgotten that he was her student, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm, and, you know, I think he completely tossed any sense of stages of grief that she might have had. I'm not even sure she did, but that she might have oh, had. But what huh? he did retain was that kind of being with people where they're at yeah. and... um and not imposing anything and and not getting ahead of the person you know all yeah. of that is so familiar to me from from being with him so much it's time for a second break believe it or not but oh, um we'll just continue when we get back and um for our listeners out there you can go to weatheringgrief.com that's my website or the good grief host page where links to everything uh, you will find there. And to find Dana and her play, go to www.youinmidair.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Dana Schaefer talking about her play, You in Midair. And before I go any further and somehow uh, don't ask you to do this, Dana, I hope you'd share... Just in case there are some L.A. listeners who could get to your play, I know it has another weekend uh, to run, and I wondered if you'd share the info about where it's it's playing. Sure, sure. It's part of the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which has lots of plays, mostly along a strip of theaters uh, along Santa Monica Boulevard, for those of you who, who are in Los Angeles. And my play is in the Lounge Theater, and the address is 6201 Santa Monica Boulevard. But if you want tickets, just go to youinmidair.com. My show is 80 minutes long, and we have a show tomorrow night, Thursday night at 10, and Saturday night at 8, and Sunday at 4 p.m. They might, uh, we, I might come back to town and do it a few more times, but this is it for now. I would love to see you there, by the way, if you're, if you're in the yeah. vicinity. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would love to be there. I'm going the next weekend, so I'm not sure if I can manage that, but um, it, I, I would love to see it performed because, of course, it may, it may be clear to listeners that I have read the play and um, I can I can imagine it having now talked to you and read it. I can kind of imagine it. I think it would be wonderful to see it. Um, 
so I wonder this this kind of leads leads right into what I wanted to ask next, which is yeah. uh, what have how have audiences responded? You know, I guess it, I guess in a way there is a, um, a self selecting. You know, people have to be willing yeah. to go see uh, a play so. yeah. about yeah. about this experience. Um, yeah. Although I know that because my daughter's in theater in L.A., you know, there is there 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 is a a group of people there who go to plays because they go to plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a little bit less, um, you know, because it's about this or that or the other. But I just mm-hmm. wonder how have audiences, if you, if you know, if they give you feedback, how have they responded? Because it's so raw and yet so well put together. Uh, I can imagine many responses. You know, uh, they're, they're, they seem they, they laugh and they cry, and they seem to enjoy it. Even though I I, I take them down to you know <laughs> the miserable parts of it, they they do seem to like it. And, and people say, "I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I'm bringing somebody." So so I th- I think even though I wasn't you know I don't like being lectured to, and I don't like the sense that I'm, somebody's trying to teach me something, so that was certainly not my, not in any way my intent. My intent was simply, I'm going to tell my story. Yeah. Um, and and I think they, I, I do think they like, and I'm sure this is part of why people like being with you, that they, they like being with somebody who has sustained a horrible loss and can you know, carry on. I think it's it it, it comforts them and, and you know encourages them. And and maybe we could even say inspires. You know, uh, obviously the heart of the I have a I have a skewed view, maybe a little, or I have my own view, which is that. Um, it, boy, it's just really important to pay attention to what comes out of our losses, not just uh-huh. how horrible they are to go through. Yeah, yeah, uh, as you said, yes. Uh-huh. And and to me, you're you're a, such an excellent um, example of that. That you've made you've put what you went through out, and I could imagine people feeling inspired, maybe even comforted that human beings can actually walk through hell in a way and um, keep going. I, th- I think so. And, and people have used that word. I'm too, too, I don't want to say it of myself, but since you've said it, yes, they, they do say that. They do use that word inspired. And you know, one of the things that, that I, I had to decide early on was and maybe this comes from being a, a compliant female, where, you know, you want to make sure everybody's happy, make sure everybody's taken care of. I felt and that you're not being selfish. That was the cardinal sin from my mother's point of view is being selfish. And I thought, how can I get up there and just talk about my loss? I mean, here I had all these people I knew, both from being a therapist and from, from being part of parents of murdered children, and I knew these horrible stories of... of you know, terrible suffering. And and I originally wrote it including stories of other people. 
other people's stories that I know. And it, it didn't, didn't fly because if, there's just so much you can do in 80 minutes. And it took a certain, it took a lot of what felt like selfishness to say, you know what? I know that, that this is only one story, but, and I, I'm not saying that nobody else has suffered. Oh, of course I know other people have suffered. I'm more aware of it than ever, in fact. But this is, I'm going to tell this story. And that was a very conscious, very difficult decision to make early on. That's interesting. I heard the poet Mark Nepo say once, um, we have to get very, very specific to become universal. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, William Blake said that. Oh, yes. You can't just get up and say, I suffered a horrible loss. It was really terrible. Now I'm sad. I mean, that that, that is a very important set of facts, but if you want it to be universal, you've got to drill down as deep as you can. Yeah. And, you know, you're saying, is it selfish? Not You're not talking at all about the exposure, the generosity of sharing such a pain. First of all, going, I imagine, deeply back into that experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And re-experiencing it at least enough to capture it. Yep. Um, and, yep. you know, I, I'm thinking about the generosity of that, of, of being willing to do that. And and people have said to me, well, I had two thoughts about that. One is people have said, so is it has it been cathartic or re-traumatizing? And I say, well, it's it's depends on the day. And you know, you do have to fold things up and, and put things away and and close the door on some things. You can't keep everything, you know, sizzling all the time. And so I put memories and ideas and thoughts away. And you do have to take everything out and shake it out and look at it and relive it. And it, 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 it has been difficult. It has been harder, harder than I realize, though there are huge satisfactions. There have been huge costs. However, my husband, I did not realize what I was putting him through. I was following my breadcrumbs, as you said. I was not following his. I got his permission to talk about him. I got his, you know, I said, is, it, is, is this okay with you if I do this? But the first performance in Portland, he, um, he came out of the performance the first night, and he said, he was wandering around, he said, I'm having trouble remembering people's names. And then he said, I feel concussed. And he did not look good. And somebody said, do you think he's okay? And I said, I know exactly what has happened. I have re-traumatized him. And that's what had happened. And once, yeah. once he, we figured that out, and he could process that with his therapist, et cetera. But I, I feel very bad about that, that I didn't even, never occurred to me. Since it was okay with me, not easy, but okay, I, I didn't think of him. Very hard for him. Well, but, and interestingly, neither did he. Because <laughs> that's a kind of, that's that's a kind of shocky reaction, isn't it? It is, very. Uh, very you know, he yeah, hadn't thought, yeah. woo, this may be, this, this may be kind of difficult for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a few minutes left, and because we share this kind of long view on grief, I, mm-hmm. I can't help but want to go very 
briefly into uh, one other little subject area or big subject area that we have a little bit of time for, which uh-huh. is, um, so I'll speak for myself first. Uh, it's, it's, it's true that there are times when I still miss my wife being in this world very poignantly and things will bring it up and it, and it still hurts even though uh-huh. god if she showed up it would be terrible i'm remarried and you know <laughs> it's not uh-huh. logical but i still have that feeling and at the uh-huh. very same time we have a very active relationship with each other she's uh-huh. woven into everything i do and uh-huh. i'm very interested in that you know kind of the two angles there the missing and the having and i wondered if that's true for you I think so. I think so. And I think doing this show has has brought that forward. And it's interesting, my my uh, family in Los Angeles, my little brother, who's 21 years younger than I am, and his wife and their two daughters have helped and really produced it for me. It's just amazing. And the two, the two girls, 14 and 10, are now passionately interested in Rebecca, and they watch episodes of the sitcom, and the older one wears her clothes, and she even looks like her a little bit. Mm. So talk wow. about her being present in a whole new way I never even dreamed of. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying, absolutely. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, even though there are no new experiences, memory's not stagnant, you know, I, I've... Uh, the there's an evolution for me and how I look at that time with her and what it means yeah. to me and uh, yeah. really an ongoing um, evolving relationship yeah. there. I, I like to get that in because I, I, as you said, there's this pressure to get done with it, which I think mm-hmm. is just, I've never met anyone who's been able to do that. And the people who've been forced to shut it up, a lot of people come to therapy with me to open the box because it's getting in their way, this idea that it has to be shut away uh, yeah. and can't can't be felt. Um, so that's, I may have primed you to answer in a certain way there, <laughs> unwittingly, <laughs> not on purpose. But, um, you know, that that sense of the the people we've lost continue to weave through our lives in various ways. Absolutely, and you have to, you know, memory will decay, as we know, and memories will rebuild themselves, and I used to worry, oh, no, I'm forgetting how she did this, how she did that, and now I just, it's all good. However, however, however it needs to be remembered will be remembered, and I'm happy to have the memories, so let them, let them be the way they are. <laughs> let them be the way they are, and sometimes it's meaningful how they change which yeah. is something I couldn't have understood early on. I just wanted to cement them. But right. uh, how they change is also really interesting. And we're going to have to end it there for now. I've enjoyed this conversation so much, Dana. I, so I, hope, I. I hope your play is seen more, including in my area, so I can come see it. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much for being with okay. me. And again, okay. people can go to www.youinmidair.com to, to learn more about uh, you and, and where it is. Next week, I'll have Sarah Ann Shockley. Her book, The Pain Companion, shares what she's learned living with a debilitating and chronic pain condition. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.